Volume Three, Chapter One of *The Widow Barnaby* by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Celine Major. Chapter One. Mrs. Barnaby loses her senses and recovers them. She takes a desperate resolution. Miss Morrison proves herself a friend in need. Agnes finds consolation in sorrow mrs barnaby's horror on recovering her senses for she really did fall into a swoon was in very just proportion to the extent of the outlay her noble vision had cost her to miss morrison who had listened to all her hopes she scrupled not to manifest her despair not however entering into the financial part of it but leaving it to be understood by her sympathizing friend that her agony proceeded wholly from disappointed love what a lovelace what a lothario what a finished deceiver quel horreur exclaimed the pitying spinster and how thankful ought i to be that no man can ever again cause me such terrible emotion no jamais gracious heaven what is to become of me cried mrs barnaby apparently but little consoled by this assurance of her friend's exemption from a similar misfortune what ought i to do miss morrison if i set off instantly for london do you think i could reach it before he leaves for rome miss morrison having turned to the newspaper examined its date and read the fatal paragraph again and replied you certainly could my dear mrs barnaby if this statement be correct but i would not do it if i were you without thinking very seriously about it it is true i never had a lord for a lover myself but i believe when they run restive they are exceedingly difficult to hold and if you do go after him and fail at last to touch his cruel heart you will be only worse off than you are now say clare that may be all very true in one sense miss morrison replied the unhappy widow but there is such a thing as pursuing a man lawfully for breach of promise of marriage and though money is no object to me i should glory in getting damages from him if only to prove to the world that he is a scoundrel that is quite another thing indeed said the confidant tout à fait and if you mean to bring an action against him i am pretty sure that i could be very useful to you for my brother is an attorney in london and is reckoned particularly clever about everything of the kind but have you any proof my dear lady that is what my brother will be sure to say to you i know you have had lots of letters and if you have kept them all it is most likely my brother may find out something like proof il est si habile proof to be sure i have proof enough if that's all that's wanted and i'll go to your brother at once miss morrison for revenge i'll have if nothing else then of course you'll take all his love-letters with you mrs barnaby and i think if you would let me look over them i should be able to tell you whether they would answer the purpose or not je m'y connais un pieu i should have no objection in the world to your seeing them every one replied the outraged lady but i am thinking miss morrison that i have an immense deal of business to do and that i shall never get through it without your friendly help i am thinking and mrs barnaby was thinking and very much to the purpose too she was thinking that though she had squandered about seventy or eighty pounds in trifling purchases by far the greater part of the expenses her noble lover had induced her to run into were still in the shape of debts the money with which she proposed to discharge them being as yet paying her interest in the funds could she contrive to leave the heaviest of these debts unpaid till she knew the result of her intended attack upon lord muckleberry's purse it would be very convenient perhaps some vague notion that she too might visit the continent and thus escape the necessity of paying them at all might mix itself with her meditations 
but at any rate she very speedily decided upon leaving cheltenham the following day without mentioning her intention to her milliner mercer tailor shoemaker hosier perfumer livery stable-keeper librarian or even to her hairdresser if she got damages she should certainly return and pay them all with great declat if not circumstances must decide what it would be most advisable for her to do great as was her esteem and affection for miss morrison she did not think it necessary to trouble her with all these trifling details but resumed the conversation by saying yes my dear miss morrison i am thinking that the best thing i can do will be to go to london for a day or two see your brother put all my documents into his hands and then return to cheltenham for the remainder of the season for i am sure i should be more likely to recover my spirits in your friendly society than anywhere else indeed i approve your resolution altogether replied miss morrison and i will write a line by you to my brother telling him that whatever he does to assist you i shall take as a personal favour to myself i cannot thank you enough said the widow pressing her hand we shall be able to get everything ready to-night i hope and when my coachman comes as usual for orders at eleven o'clock to-morrow morning tell him my dear friend to drive you about wherever you like to go and you may mention if you please that i shall want him to take us a long drive on saturday to see the roman pavement i mean to return on friday night for what will be the use you know of my staying in town none in the world but i think you had better name monday for the drive for fear you should be too tired on saturday well just as you please about that but you had better go and write your letter and i'll speak to agnes and my maid about packing perhaps you will not like to take miss willoughby i will take the greatest care of her if you will leave her in my charge how very kind but i would rather take her i can't do without somebody to lace my stays and fasten my dress and i want my maid to finish the work she is about she is an exquisite darner and i have set her to mend the rent that hateful lord muckleberry made in my india muslin so i don't mean to take her nothing of any kind occurred to interfere with the execution of this hastily but by no means unskilfully imagined plan the ready-money expenditure of mrs barnaby had been so lavish that she had bought golden opinions from master mistress men and maids throughout the establishment and when she summoned mr the landlord to her presence and informed him that she was going to london for a couple of days on business but should not give up her rooms as she should take neither of her servants with her he received the communication with great satisfaction and promised that no one but her own people should enter her drawing-room till her return this preliminary business happily settled mrs barnaby mounted the stairs to her bedroom where as usual she found agnes busily occupied in her corner the hour for an evening engagement made with lady stephenson not having yet arrived for some reason or other mrs barnaby never enjoyed any flirtation so much in the presence of agnes as without her and it was for this reason that at cheltenham as well as at clifton she had encouraged her making acquaintance for herself thus her constant intercourse with lady elizabeth norris and lady stephenson had never in any degree been impeded by her aunt mrs barnaby was aware that agnes had engaged to pass this evening with them and when she looked at her tranquil face as she entered the room she felt greatly disposed to plague her by saying that she must stay at home to pack and could not go but a moment's reflection suggested to her that the less fuss she made about this packing the better and therefore only told her that she was obliged to set off by seven o'clock the next morning for london on business that would detain her for a day or two that she meant to take her and leave her maid and that before she set off upon her gossiping visit it would be necessary to pack her trunk agnes laid down her book and looked surprised 
don't stare so like a fool agnes do what i bid you instantly there will be no occasion for me to pack much aunt if we are only to stay a day or two said agnes when i tell you to pack your trunk miss i mean that your trunk shall be packed and i won't trouble you to give me any opinion on the subject am i to put everything into it aunt plague of my life yes replied mrs barnaby whose vexed spirit seemed to find relief in speaking harshly without further remonstrance agnes set about obeying her and the little all that formed her morning wardrobe was quickly transferred from the two drawers allowed her to the identical trunk which aunt betsy had provided for her first journey from silverton to empton and my books aunt said agnes fixing her eyes on the heated countenance of the widow with some anxiety mrs barnaby hesitated and agnes saw she did it was not because the little library of her niece formed the chief happiness of her life that she scrupled at bidding her leave them behind but because she suspected that they and their elegant little case were of some marketable value you may take them if you will she said at length i don't care a straw what you take or what you leave only don't plague me you must know i suppose if you are not quite an idiot that when people go to london on business it is possible they may stay longer than they expect agnes asked no more questions but quietly packed up everything that belonged to her and when the work no very long one was completed she said can i be of any use to you aunt before i go out i should like to know what use you are ever likely to be of to anybody was the reply take yourself off in god's name the sooner the better the very simple toilette of agnes was soon arranged and having left everything in perfect order for departure she uttered a civil but unanswered good-bye aunt and went away it so chanced that a little volume of poems lent to her by lady stephenson had been left in the drawing-room and agnes wishing to return it before leaving cheltenham entered the room to look for it as a good many circulating library volumes were lying about it was some minutes before she found it and just as she had succeeded and was leaving the apartment miss morrison appeared at the door she had a letter in her hand and a bustling busy look and manner which led agnes to suppose that she had something of consequence to say to her aunt shall i run upstairs and desire my aunt to come to you miss morrison said she no thank you my dear you are very kind but i think i had better go up to her i only stepped in first to see if she was here she is very busy packing i suppose and perhaps i can help her then you know miss morrison that she is going to london to-morrow said agnes oh dear yes i believe it was i put it into her head first and this is the letter she is to take to my brother i am sure i hope she'll succeed with all my heart and i should like to hear that lord mucklebury had ten thousand pounds to pay her for damages damages repeated agnes what for what for my dear child why for having used her so abominably ill to be sure there is nobody that saw them together as i did but must have supposed he intended to marry her and if he has used her ill miss morrison said agnes looking greatly alarmed will it not be exposing herself still more if she goes to law about it indeed miss morrison you should not advise her to do anything so very wrong and disagreeable don't blame me my dear i beg of you the idea was quite her own tout a fait i assure you and all i have done to further it was just writing this letter to my brother for her he is a very clever lawyer and i'm sure she could not do better it would be much better miss morrison if she did not do anything said agnes while tears started to her eyes at the idea of this fresh exposure i don't think my dear miss agnes that you can be much of a judge retorted the adviser 
however as you do choose to give an opinion upon the subject and seem to be so very much afraid that she should expose herself i must just tell you that you owe it to me if she does not go galloping after lord mucklebury all the way to rome she had the greatest possible inclination to do so i assure you however i think that i have put it out of her head by talking to her of damages but you are going downstairs and i am going up so good-bye don't frighten yourself more than is needful it is likely as not that you will never be called into court au revoir agnes sick at heart and trembling for the future repaired to the house of lady elizabeth lady stephenson was at the pianoforte and the old lady reading near a window but as soon as her young guest was announced she closed her volume and said you are late little girl we have been expecting you this hour and this is the last evening we shall have quietly to ourselves for colonel hubert writes us word that he is coming to-morrow and he is a much more stay-at-home person than sir edward colonel hubert coming to cheltenham the very day she was to leave it these were not tidings to cheer her spirits already agitated and depressed and when she attempted to speak she burst into tears lady stephenson was at her side in a moment agnes she said what ails you you are as white as a ghost had you heard any agitating news before you came here struck by the accent with which this was spoken and perceiving in a moment that lady stephenson thought the mention of colonel hubert's arrival had caused her emotion she hastened to reply and did so perhaps with more frankness than she might have known had she not been particularly anxious to prove that there were other and very sufficient reasons for her discomposure news most painful and most sad to me lady stephenson she said i believe you have heard my aunt barnaby's foolish flirtation with lord mucklebury spoken of lady elizabeth was laughing about it the other day and who was not my dear the saucy viscount has made her they say the subject of a ballad but is it for this you weep or is it because he has gone away and that there's an end of it alas lady elizabeth there is not an end of it and it is for that i weep though indeed i ought to beg your pardon for bringing such useless sorrow here but i find that my aunt fancies she has a claim upon him a legal claim and that she is going to london to-morrow to bring an action against him is it possible exclaimed the old lady looking at poor agnes with very genuine compassion god knows you may well weep my poor child i shall begin to think i gave but sorry advice agnes when i told you to stay with her it may after all be better to run some risk in leaving her than brave certain disgrace and ridicule by remaining to reside in her family is she going to take you to town with her agnes inquired lady stephenson with a look of deep concern yes lady stephenson i am to go with her there was a very painful silence for a minute or two both the admiring friends of agnes would have done much to save her from being a sharer in such an enterprise but to interfere with the indisputable authority of such a woman as mrs barnaby in her arrangements concerning a niece who had no dependence upon her was out of the question and the conviction that it was so kept them silent how did you hear this strange story my dear said lady elizabeth did your aunt explain to you her ridiculous purpose herself no lady elizabeth she only bade me prepare my trunk for going to london with her it was miss morrison whom i met by chance as i came out who told me the object of the journey and dreadful as this going to law would be it is not the worst thing i fear what worse can there be agnes said lady stephenson i am almost ashamed to tell you of such fears 
but when i uttered something like a reproach to miss morrison for having advised this journey and writing a letter about it to her brother who is a lawyer in london she told me that i ought to be grateful to her for preventing my aunt's following lord mucklebury all the way to rome for that such was her first intention and continued agnes bursting anew into tears i greatly greatly suspect that she has not given up this intention yet the two ladies exchanged glances of pity and dismay and lady elizabeth making her a sign to come close to her took her kindly by the hand saying in accents much more gentle than she usually bestowed on any one my poor dear girl what makes you think this tell me agnes tell me all they have said to you agnes knelt down on the old lady's footstool and gently kissing the venerable hand which held hers said it is very very kind of you to let me tell you all and your judgment will be more to be trusted than mine as to what it may mean but my reason for thinking that my aunt is going to do more than she confesses to miss morrison is that she has publicly declared her intended absence will be only for two days and yet though she told me this too she ordered me to pack up everything i had even the little collection of books i told you of lady stephenson and moreover instead of letting her maid put up her things i left her doing it herself and saw her before i came away putting a vast variety of her most valuable things in a great travelling trunk that she could never think of taking if it were really her intention to stay in london only two days and then return to cheltenham very suspicious very much so indeed said the old lady and all i can say to you in reply my poor child is this you must not go abroad with her i am not rich enough to charge myself with providing for you nor must your friend emily here frighten her new husband by talking of taking possession of you agnes but you must not go abroad with that woman governess you must be i suppose if things go on in this way and instead of opposing it i will try if i cannot find a situation in which you may at least be safer than with this aunt barnaby whatever happens you must let us hear from you and remember the moment you discover that she really proposes to take you abroad you are to put yourself into a cheltenham coach and come directly to me what words were these for agnes to listen to colonel hubert was to take up his residence in that house on the morrow and she was now told in a voice of positive command that if what she fully expected would happen did happen she was at once to seek a shelter there she dared not trust her voice to say i thank you but she ventured to raise her eyes to the hard-featured but benignant countenance that bent over her and the kiss she received on her forehead proved that though her silence might not be fully understood her gratitude was not doubted the evening was not like many others recently passed there so happy that mrs barnaby's footman often came to escort her home before she thought the time for parting could be half arrived they had no music no scraps of poetry in italian or in english as touchstones of taste and instruction with which lady stephenson loved to test the powers of her young favourite but the conversation rested almost wholly upon the gloomy and uncertain future at length the moment came in which she was to bid these valued friends adieu they embraced and blessed her with tenderness nay even with tears but little did they guess the tumult that swelled the breast of agnes it was hubert's sister to whom she clung it was hubert's aunt almost his mother who hung over her looking as if she were her mother too and on the morrow he would be with them and he would hear her named for notwithstanding their unmeasured superiority to her in all ways they could not forget her so soon he would hear of her sorrows of the dangers that surrounded her 
and he would hear too perhaps of the shelter offered her in the very house he dwelt in all these thoughts were busy in her head as she uttered the last farewell and turned again in passing through the door to look once more on those who would so soon be looked at by him there was certainly a strange pleasure mixed with all this sadness for though she wept through half the night she would not have exchanged the consciousness of having been brought nearer to him even by the act of having mingled tears in parting with his nearest relations for all the enjoyment that a tranquil spirit and a calm night's rest could offer in exchange for it End of chapter 1